So thank you guys for turning up. But but a huge thank you to Martin Newmeyer for coming in for the inaugural session. Um, Marty, um, we met in in March in Glasgow, which was a great experience. Um, and you were over in Europe um, on your the the first of your level C courses. Um, and you're getting ready to go back out on the road again. We are. We've got uh, five events scheduled and uh, five five level C uh, events. We have. Three, uh, three other events, non, non-level C events, talks, you know, workshops, sort of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a whole European tour. I feel like I'm in a rock band or something. Yes, well, that's another story. Um, so you're you're coming back to to Glasgow. Yes. Where where else are you going? London, Lausanne, Switzerland, um, Bordeaux. Uh, let's see what else in Hamburg. Cool. So, plus, I'll uh, be speaking to students at the uh, University of East Anglia and at Brunel. Okay. And in Dublin, I've got a couple of events. So, so I haven't been, it's great. I haven't been to Dublin in 10 years. And uh, I love Ireland. So uh, I wish I could stay longer and hang out. But uh, then it's back home and you know, writing again, back to the, back okay. to the. Right, right. Well, maybe you can tell us um, some some more about that. We're we're intrigued now because a, a lot of us obviously are are fans, followers of of your your work, and we engaged around uh, Scramble, um, and maybe you'll be able to tell us, you know, about your passion about bringing brand into the the boardroom, and hence level C through this discussion, I think. Um, but hopefully there's going to be some, some questions if we get through some of the main the main themes, some of the guys, uh, maybe people like Chris that are coming along. I've got some specific questions for you. Um, but but why, why don't I get going? And, and I, I love the context of this, this book. It brings it to life for me. You know, I, I really get drawn into it. But, but why... Why a novel for this book, Marty? Um, good question. Um, you know, it, it just um, struck me after writing, I don't know, six or seven books in a fairly straightforward way. You know, not a, not a normal 300-page book kind of way, but um, even in a short book, you're basically giving people advice. And it all makes sense if you're a careful writer, but it doesn't give you the feeling of like the experience of doing it in, in a real situation. And so I think that's, that's what's missing in business books. So uh, I'm experimenting with how to fix that by putting these lessons in context of a, a story that people can relate to. Um, and then of course, at the end of the book, you've got all the principles are just down into, I don't know, 30 pages or something, but I think it really helps to see uh, how it works in real life, because it's one thing to understand a principle, it's another thing to make it work with actual people. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, that Mike Tyson saying, uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has a principle, so they bring it into a, a meeting. <laughs> and, uh, 
or, or put it online and, and watch everybody trash it. So um, that was the idea behind it. And uh, there have been other books uh, that have succeeded along these lines, but very few. And um, I just felt like it was worth a shot. I'm really happy I did. I'm, I'm actually ready to do more like this. Um, if this one uh, really gets some traction, um, I'll go on to the next ones. They're already planned out. I've got three. Oh, so cool. Set. Brilliant. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I have to make sure that people actually uh, are getting something from this before I go forward. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can talk about like the publisher and stuff in more detail, but just a, a quick um, question on that then. you Is there a... Is there a figure in mind that you feel, all right, once I've sold X of Scramble or, um, or a period of time, or what, what's the trigger for that? I would say, yeah, uh, t- say 10,000 copies in maybe two years or three years, something like that. That's a hard figure. But if, it's, if a book doesn't sell more than 10,000 copies, you're not going to have a big enough following for the next one, and there's just going to be... A continuing slog. Um, whereas the other books that I've designed with the, the books I'm calling whiteboard overviews, uh, those sort of have a following already. So I know if I publish another one of those, I'll get okay. probably 10,000 in the first year or two. Um, and of course, we'd all like to sell a million of these things. Um, and if I have had the lucky experience of my first book selling quite a few. It sells about it's been selling 10,000 a year since year one, never stopped. It's just same thing every year as if there's just endless, uh, you know, readers for, for this thing. So it's possible. And I've heard of books, uh, selling a million copies business books. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're shooting for, but in, in branding, it's not a huge audience. I would say it's a niche audience important niche and I hope it's more than a niche someday but at this point um you know if I wanted to sell books I just write about general business yeah uh, yeah yeah techniques I guess, I guess we could sidetrack into a conversation about your your brand at that point and um you know how you would how you would feel about that and how you could possibly leverage it in different ways if as a creative um how if you felt comfortable with with that but um was there a question there because (laughs) no i'll 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 leave it because we'll we'll get sidetracked on um your commercialization and stuff so let's let's do that another time marty let's stick with the book because that's what um we're, we're we've framed this around and um We've heard a lot about Agile and, you know, and we've maybe read about it in other books or even been on the courses and stuff like that. But this is your Agile strategy. And is that something you've kind of written up, do you think? Or where have you got? How did, how did you get to? Right. And there are a lot of books on Agile this and Agile that. Yeah. Rome and all kinds of stuff. And they're valuable books. Um, you know, I kind of get a little bit um, annoyed with, how people take an idea and then they try to harden it up into some sort of formula. Um, and that's what's happened to Agile, I think. And, and then you have competing views of what that formula is. And people will argue to death about <laughs> if you're doing it right. And uh, so I, I hope people will take it as a general 
um, description of this kind of work where you're working fast and you're working collaboratively and you're, and you're making things, trying them, testing them, iterating and moving on. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can do that in a group of people. Um, I have my way. Um, I think it's very simple and straightforward and flexible. So I'm happy to share that. Uh, but I'm not um, tagging my book onto any known agile formula. So uh, it's just it's just a way of, for me describing a new process that's fast and uh, collaborative. Mm-hmm. And is it what you've learned as a consultant? Because you know you've not been. Uh, an author all your life that's how many of us know you um is is this something that you've that you've learned and built up through your own practice yeah it's just trial and error doing it uh you know trying every which way of doing it um you know i am a designer so i'm able to design processes pretty easily i mean it's not difficult for me uh and i'm a writer so i can write about it so those are skills that i bring to this um, but I've also just done a lot of this work uh, over the years and tried just about every way possible of achieving successful results. And as anybody in a creative or strategic role knows, it's not easy. I mean, uh, especially uh, in large groups of people. So um, that's the whole thing I've been trying to crack this whole time is how do I get groups of people to buy in to good ideas? Mm-hmm. Uh, because usually what happens is designers or teams of designers present work and uh, a client, probably the leader of the company or the leader of a department makes a decision based on who knows what, <laughs> uh, not experience, but just uh, you know personal belief or whatever. And the designers like, you know, they fight that. And so they, you know, they try to sell an idea to, to a client um, and then you have tension right away. You have conflict because, um, you know, the client looks at the designer and says, you have an ulterior motive. I can see it, right? You're pushing something, mm-hmm. but I have my piece and I'm the one paying for it. And so you get all this stuff that's irrelevant, um, getting mixed up into this. And so uh, what I learned over the years is to be more objective, uh, not to um, try to sell any ideas to anybody, but uh, present them in a way that gives them a fair shot and try to build in some some research, some testing, so that uh, we're talking about um, real customer viewpoints, right? So the big breakthrough for me was when I was designing uh, software packaging back in the 80s. And when you, this is for stores, you know, they used, used to be, People may not remember this, but you bought software in a store. You yeah, went and yeah. looked at boxes on the shelf and you read them and you scratched your head and well, I, guess, I guess this is the one I should buy. Mm-hmm. So um, I jumped into that because I thought it was a very interesting uh, challenge to try to sell something as abstract as software in a box. Um, and what I learned was is uh, my views on what would sell were really you know, uh, not you know, not that successful. It's like some things would sell really well, uh, other things wouldn't. And I certainly didn't think my clients had any um, any uh, special gift for choosing the right designs either. So I just started doing it differently. I just said, look, we're all going to do our best here and um, we're going to use as much logic as we can. We'll use the principles and formulas that we 
believe in, but in the final in the final analysis, we're going to get customers to weigh in on this. They're going to be part of this mm -hmm. process, and that was the biggest thing, biggest change in my career is actually letting customers in on the design of stuff. So, um, you know, our studio would come up with maybe 70, 80 ideas for a package of sketches, and we would look at those and narrow those down and uh, make comprehensive and prototype those so the clients could um, take a look. And we might show a total of 15 ideas mm. over maybe two meetings. Um, and we would get it down to two or three candidates. We would take those to a store and talk to actual customers actually shopping in the real section where the mm -hmm. uh, product would be sold. Um, so we call that a near life, creating a near life experience. So uh, in other words, they weren't, they weren't brought to a laboratory to give their opinion. Um, they were actually shopping. They were busy. They were shopping in, in the category that, that we were selling in. Um, and we had real conversations with them, with the client right there, usually on the other side of the aisle, listening. <laughs> um, we take notes and, um, after about four hours of that, we wouldn't know the answer. We would know which idea was the strongest and what needed to change about it. And I would say half the time, um, my people, me and my people were wrong about what the best design was and same with the clients. They had no, actually their, their batting average was worse. So um, that whole experience of letting users or or audience members be part of the process was huge for me. I learned so much for that. I'm still learning a lot from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm learning you cannot trust the um, history of your own profession to, to, to give you the answers to any problem, any real problems. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you, you know, they give you a repertoire of responses to a problem, but not the answer. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is I learned humility. <laughs> Uh, I, I think you're, that comes out loud and clear in um, the, the 46 rules, 46 rules of genius. I think that you get really strong guidance on that, um, you know, just what you've been saying there. Um, and, I, and I guess the team in Scramble, to a certain extent, you know, you've got the Thompson twins in there and you're like, look, let's get something real. At, at that point, it's the board that they're taking the concept to, but it's got, it looks like it's got to be something that actually would work for the consumer. So you're using the same philosophy there a little bit. Board of directors is the, are the gatekeepers for this. So and they're the first test case. But yeah, it has to work beyond them. So they're not actually thinking about how do we convince the board. They're thinking, how do we create something that once we get it past the board is actually going to work because our jobs depend on it. So um, the board is just, you know, that experience that we all have with gatekeepers. Like even, even if you're a, a, an author like I am or like Maria is, you've got a publisher, those people are gatekeepers. And before the before you even get to a publisher, you may need to go through an agent, another gatekeeper. So um, it's tricky stuff. And uh, uh, this whole thing of how, how do you get everyone focused on the same end, the same goal, is huge. And um, I mean, the last part of my career has been all devoted to figuring that out. 
um, and testing it and and finding um, a set of principles that um, guide you through it. Mm -hmm. And just while you were talking about that, trying to get everyone on the on the same page, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, and um, there was quite a good discussion started. Um, I think last week, or maybe earlier this week, on in the in the group around. It was Steve. You're also the character, the fairly awkward um, character, um, and and ultimately he gets sacked. So I just put a little post up to to get people's thoughts around that. And um, the we we ended up talking about culture, mm. um, and I was kind of trying to provoke a little bit of a, a discussion, if if you like, um, asking should everyone not be on the same page, or actually is Steve quite valuable in a team? Because if we all agree all the time, then we get groupthink. So I, um, I don't know what you think about Steve and maybe that kind of culture culture issue. I, I agree that you have um, a, a nice range of viewpoints in any kind of decision making. I really think that's important. Um, the problem with Steve is he didn't have any viewpoints, <laughs> except let's do what we did before harder and stronger, and let's blame on some other people for it. <laughs> you know, let's 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 uh, force our workers to work harder. Let's you know let's just bear down, and you know sometimes that is the answer. But in this case, uh, the CEO of the company made the observation that, no, we have been bearing down the sentence and it hasn't done any good. So obviously we have to, uh, instead of just trying to break through a wall, we have to go around the wall. We have to figure out another way of doing it. And, um, and so he, he tried to organize all the people in a way that they could you know, have a voice. And uh, Steve refused to participate. Um, and then, of course, if you read the book, you know he had uh, some other things going on uh, in which um, he was actually trying to undermine the process. So um, he's a little bit different case. Um, but I, you know, we all have experience working with naysayers, with black hatters, uh, you know, devil's advocates. And um, there's room for that. And, but I think they shouldn't use that. It's kind of a powerful position to take is we've done that before. It's not going to work. It's a stupid idea. I mean, everybody kind of looks up to that because it sounds like realism, but it doesn't help when you're trying to uh, find new ways to get someplace. So, and he wasn't going to play that game. So I don't know if you remember, but um, the, the, the group uh, Cultura led everybody through a six hats exercise, which I totally believe is valid and, um, uh, practical uh, and, and it always gets great results whenever I've used it and so what you do is you allow for each kind of thinking and black hatting is one of those thing, kinds of thinking but there's also creative thinking there's hopeful thinking uh, there's emotional thinking if you want to call it that it's uh, using your tapping your emotions and so how, how many people have read uh, this um, six thinking hats by Edward de Bono Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> no? Okay. Um, 
It's wonderful. I mean, if you're going to do this, uh, read the book. It's really simple. It's absurdly practical and logical. It's brilliant. In that nobody thought of this before until Edward de Bono um, cracked it. Um, it's, it's memorable because you have the colored hats. So, so just to summarize for you, if you haven't read it, um, you divide decision-making into six hats. One of it's really five because one of them, the blue hat, is the hat of the leader of the brainstorming session. So um, the leader of the brainstorming session doesn't have a point of view. It just, re just records things and asks questions. So you've really got five. So uh, the important ones for me are the red hat, which is the hat of emotions, uh, because um, in any difficult decision-making environment, emotions get in the way. They tend to um, be hidden from people and they come out as reasons instead of emotions. So if someone's afraid of doing something, they won't say, I'm really afraid of this direction. They'll say, that'll never work. Or I'd rather do it a different way. They'll, they'll try to make it logical. Um, and it's just really helpful to say, you know, this is really a scary idea, <laughs> or this is an exciting idea, or this, um, I think this is going to require some caution. Uh, those kinds of things are really important to get on the table. So that one's important. Uh, the black hat's important. Why is this going to fail? What are the most likely reasons this whole thing is going to fail? And then look at those and use, put on the green hat and say, well, how can we work around some of these problems? How can we be creative to solve some of these things? Because they aren't, uh, they aren't necessarily going to happen. We can figure out a way around them. So those three, I think that I use a lot. Uh, the yellow hat is the hat of wishful thinking, like hope. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? Uh, and the white hat uh, is the one you should use before you start, which is the hat of uh, data, of information. So you need to know as much as you can about the subject before you start. So those are the hats. And you can, uh, as a leader, you can switch people between those hats. You know, okay, we've, we've done this green hat. Now we need to put on the white hat and um, assess some of this stuff against what we know about the subject. So let's... Let's do some research on it before we come back to this. Um, it's just amazing how fast you can get to some really uh, breakthrough uh, solutions to problems uh, in a group. And, and the group doesn't have to be brilliant. There's enough, if you have a big enough group, 20 people, let's say, you're going to get a lot of viewpoints. And even if only by accident, you're going to get some great ones. And so uh, if you know how to lead these uh, brainstorming sessions, you can be a really valuable person in uh, in a decision-making setting. So I recommend that. And it's in the book. We cover it in the book. But if you get the Six Thinking Hats book, um, I think you'll be happy you did. There's a, a few people scribbling that down. Um, and you're right, it's name-checked name in the in the book. And it gives me, it leads me on to, to maybe turn that round on you and, and say, well, although this is a novel, it's very practical, especially towards the last third of the book or, or so on. And, you know, you lay out your own tools um, for, for consultants and those of us that are out in the field consulting, I think, like your other books, actually can take it away and go, right, okay, here's a handbook, I can go and use it. Are you, 
are you getting any feedback from consultants to say, you know, you know what, I've been using Scramble in that practical way? Are you hearing any feedback like that? I have quite a bit. Um, most people say I'm using parts of it, and that's uh -huh. fun, I suppose. Um, that they've incorporated some some of the ideas into their own process. You know, and everybody wants to have their own process. Um, but if the process is any good, it's not going to be too different than this process. It just can't be. I mean, it's simplified to the max. Um, and so if you're complicating it just to make it different, I don't think that's productive. Uh, but you might want to change some of the ways of thinking about it. You might want to simplify it more. I don't know if you can, but you, you could try. Um, I just think whatever your process is as a consultant, it should have an internal logic to it. It should make sense with itself. And so that's what I try to do with all my work. All the books, if you read them next to each other, side by side, everything dovetails with everything. There's nothing like thrown in there that doesn't work with the other books. Um, and that's, that's sort of the big challenge of all this work I've been doing is making sure everything makes sense with itself. And that's why I also put out um, a dictionary of terms. So brand A to Z, if you, if you don't have it, it's free. If you sign up for my website, you'll get a copy, Kindle copy. And it's um, relational dictionary so that if you read a definition, inside that definition will be other words or similar words that you can click on. And that'll take you to that word. And that word will have more that you can click on. So it's just a kind of um, process of one, one idea leading to another, not, not unlike uh, Wikipedia or something like that. But all the terms make sense with each other the way they're defined so that you're in a world that makes sense. Um, and I, what I don't like to see is people taking a little of this, a little bit of that, and nothing fits together. They just uh, picked a lot of things off the shelf um, that they thought were cool, but mm. it doesn't really hang together as a continuous set of principles. Okay, that, yeah, that that makes that makes sense, and especially that maybe comes from your designing background as well, isn't it? You know, that's everything has to everything has to work, and and again, coming back to your your book of principles, it's like designed down to the the most basic level. If you don't need to get get rid of it, um, so I can see how that's come through in your work as well. Well, design and, and simplicity, yeah. So the idea of making everything make sense, but also be as simple as possible and no simpler, as Einstein said. But I don't think there's a big difference between the craft of writing and the craft of design. I think when you're a writer, you're actually designing a verbal product. So um, I don't know. What do you think, Maria? You're a writer. Is it design? Yeah. Is it? I, I, that is actually something I struggle with. So, <laughs> but that's what, what the role of a good editor can do for you, right? It's that idea of, of, I love what you said about this idea of whether it's communication, whether it's design, whether it's brand, it, there's a tendency of people to overcomplicate things to make it seem smarter. And there's a difference between simplifying and dumbing something down. And what you do so well is simplify without dumbing it down. Um, so I think that's just, that's a really important thing for, for consultants to remember is that you're not any smarter because you make it sound really complicated. Um, mm. and so that's a, a lot of what I take away from your books is that idea of like, this is, this is not necessarily something people know and they need to be taught. 
but at the same time, they don't need to feel dumb while they're learning it. Um, so I think that simplicity is such an important thing across almost anything that we do. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, well, you know, I, I think it was Hemingway who said, um, if you write simply enough, you can tell if you're lying. And I think it's the same with design. If you design simply enough, you know whether it holds together or not. Uh, people who are afraid of things not holding together or they're not sure of their ideas uh, tend to add more to cover up that they don't know. And pretty soon you can't tell what's what. And that the and the and the experience of reading something like that is not pleasant because it's like it's just too hard. It's like it's like those textbooks you got in college or in high school. It's just like, oh my God, I can't remember all this. This is too complicated. And what does it all mean? <laughs> you know? So I like to make sure that it's clear what it means, um, that it makes sense, that it's kind of bulletproof. Um, so you can unpack it and it's still true. You can play it out. You can take the principles and use them in different ways and they're still true. Yeah, um, and you can still and you can still dress it up. You can still make it sexy without, you know, when you simplify it. I think that's the yeah. other trap people fall into is is I'm going to make this as plain and boring as possible because plain and boring equals simple. And there's that yeah. balance of how do you simplify something but simplify it really elegantly and really beautifully. Right. So I think if you if you want to create a design or a strategy or a book uh, with a lot of um, stuff in it with a lot of detail, which can be useful. You need to make sure that the framework you're hanging it on is really strong. Like it's got a central core idea that's like unbeatable, and then you can illustrate it in various ways. And but you need this very strong hierarchy of the most important thing, the next one, the next one, and then you can have lots of case studies and things like that. Um, I mean. If you've ever read the book, um, uh, The Innovator Solution, that is based on this very simple idea of disruption. Um, companies that win big uh, pull the rug out from underneath the, the competitors by um, doing something really different and, and often in a less expensive way. They create a product or a service that's cheaper, and not as good, but very valuable. And so, and then he just illustrates that over, 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 looks at it from every angle, but it's still the same point. You got a whole book about the same thing. Um, so books are like that. Piece of design is like that. Uh, a business strategy has to be like that. And why are we doing this? Where are we headed together? Uh, the rest is details. And the details are really good as they make it real for people. But but you can't ever let people forget, like, what's the main point of all this? Don't, don't let them get lost in the detail, right? No matter how interesting it is. It's a challenge. Thank, thanks, Maria. I think you put that really nicely and actually summarized some of Marty's strengths for us there. So, so that was neat. Um, Marty, a couple of questions about the future, and then we'll maybe see if any of the, the group, if there's questions about Scramble or anything you've, you've said, um, they can put your questions questions to you. Um, around the level, level C, now I know you see a, a, a future for brand, for brand managers. How would, how would you like to see that develop? I would like to see people who have a creative um, soul, if you can say that, people who are able to 
imagine, prototype, uh, invent, um, occupy the, the upper echelons of businesses. So um, that includes designers, writers, strategists, um, product managers, uh, leaders of any kind, really, who, who are visionary, um, bringing brand to the top of the company. And so my poster child for this is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was what I would call a chief, chief brand officer. He was not a chief executive officer in the way that we understand it. He was not uh, taking responsibility for shareholders or finances or any of that. He was leading customers, period. <laughs> And um, in doing that, he expected employees to do the same thing, right? It's all about the customer. We're going to do what's really cool and not what's easy uh, because customers demanded. And so he had a vision for what customers wanted, obviously, and he was usually pretty right. Um, and that kind of person should be leading a company that depends on innovation. And usually it's not. So Tim Cook is now running Apple, and he isn't that person. And he can make that company run for a long time and, and, and keep its head above water and probably make a lot of money, but it's slowly not gonna do as well because you don't have anybody fighting for customers, like making it great for customers. So um, CEOs who are able to do that and uh, designers who are able to do that, marketing people who are able to do that, uh, in a way that influences the top of the company, the decision making of the company, are going to be very valuable. And um, so, my level C is a five-level uh, program where you work course by course up to the fifth level, which qualifies you to be a CEO or a thought leader. Um, obviously, you have to bring a lot to this. These are only two-day classes, um, so it's not like a, you know, it's not a four-year program or something. Um, and and you have to already have some skills to make this work, but um, what I'm doing is providing a framework for people so they can get there and have the confidence to take those kind of roles. And it's, it's when I first started talking about chief brand officers, well, you know, it was 15 years ago, uh, even I didn't necessarily believe me. <laughs> I just thought, this seems a little, I know there are no people like this now, so how is this going to happen? You know, I was questioning myself, but at the same time, I knew it had to happen. It just had to. So that's what I'm working on is like bringing people up through the ranks through my books and so forth to, the, to leading them to that kind of uh, position where they would have a lot of power over, over a big brand. Okay, so um, uh, level C is designed to, to bring people up to that level. And, and, and it turns out there's a lot of success waiting for people, okay? So thought leaders, thought leaders are kind of on their own. It's like they, it depends on how big their platform is and how good they are and what subject they work, subject area they're working in, all that kind of stuff. CBOs are a little more easy to, to predict. CBO uh, can make a ton of money, okay, uh, with the right corporation. So we've, We've already seen people from the very first class, not the class that enables you to be CBO, just the first class, immediately change their careers and get a tie, that title in smaller companies. So it's not gonna be long before they start getting titles in bigger companies. Um, and a client that I was working with in a startup um, came to me and he said, I've been really thinking about this whole CBO thing and I need one. I have, 
our company has a huge future, but we have to have a CEO. Do you know anybody uh, who you could recommend for this uh, position? I said, well, I, I think maybe what you should do is, um, you know, find someone who's younger, who's got maybe the basic skill set and will grow into that role. And then you'll pay a, a, a you know, reasonable amount for that person. And uh, they'll, they'll learn organically. And maybe they can take some of my classes, read my books, and they'll be there. And so he gets back to me in a couple of months and goes, well, we interviewed a lot of people and none of them I had any faith in. But I did find a guy. He's worked for Nike and, I don't know, NBC or something. <laughs> Nike for sure. I'm not sure about the other one. Um, he said, he's great. He knows all the stuff. He's read your books. Um, he's got his own ideas. Um, he gets it. We, we really feel strongly. The only thing is, you know, we're a startup and he's, it's the money. The money's a problem. I have to figure out where I'm going to get it. And I said, oh, wow. Okay. So uh, how much is he asking? He said, he needs between 750000 and a million dollars a year. And I thought, well, that's too much for you. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, wow. He's already expecting that amount of money. He's already been doing this kind of work. He just didn't maybe call himself a CBO. As soon as he saw the, the job title, he went, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and now that's what he wants. And so what I told my client is, look, he might be worth that much. He's worked for some big companies. If he's good, he's worth that much, but not for you, right? You know, that's, that's like Procter & Gamble needs somebody like that. Apple could really use somebody like that right now, right? And that's a, that's a pretty good figure for that. But, uh, but what that did is open my mind is that, you know, that's just a starting figure. It's going to go beyond that. When these people are known, when CBO, being a CBO is a known thing, it's going to be a million and a half plus points. I mean, it's going to be huge because um, it works. I mean, people like Steve Jobs are very valuable people. So that's kind of my dream for some of the people that come through the program is that some of them will end up at that level. Not many. I know that that's, you know, skill and ambition and all that drive, all that stuff has to do with it. But there is a huge role there. And uh, just seeing some of the numbers that I've seen by people going into positions like that are, are very exciting. Um, I was born too, too soon, I think, to, to, to take advantage of it. But a lot of the other people aren't. So yeah. go for it. I mean, it's going to be amazing. I, I see Chris looking quite quite interested there. He was he was telling you earlier that he's on the course in in Glasgow, fifteenth, sixteenth of October. So and we'll be interested to hear uh, what he thinks of it. And before I open up to maybe some other questions, you give us a little teaser about another two books. Have you got um, Have you got a scoop for us? Can you give us an insight as to what they could could be? I guess the cat's out of the bag on the other two books. Um, yes, holding back on those because I want to see how this one does. Um, it's 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 selling okay. It's a self-published book because that's the era that we're in now. Um, if it catches and really gets some traction, and I end up selling enough of these things, I'll go on to number two. Uh, they build on each other. Uh, the, I, I'll share the titles. So the first one. Um, is um, Scramble, second one is Swarm, third one is Skyrocket. And so it deals with three stages of growth in a company. When a company scales up, uh, the problems change. So, um, and 
design, strategy, leadership, all those things affect how, how you do with, with this scaling up process. So I want to show the same company dealing with those problems. So um, who knows what will happen? I mean, who, who knows what will happen with these characters? Maybe David will uh, form a relationship with Carrie. We don't know. She's, well, she's gone. Or maybe she's not. <laughs> Right. Th thanks for that, Marty. That that is really kind, and and we we got our exclusive here at Fresh Books. So um, delighted delighted about that. Um, let let's see, and if there's a little bit of management here, maybe for the the next ten minutes or so, if we can run run some questions. Um, and you spoke about self publishing, and that's that's an interesting world that we live in now, as you say, and that's for 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 today. Um, I don't think John's been able to make the call, but I'm just going to throw this in at, at this point. Uh, John Wheely, um, he asked, what's next for Scramble? Are you talking to Hollywood? <laughs> uh, you know, people have mentioned that. and That would be a really interesting thing to attempt uh, because now you have more, um, more channels for this kind of stuff, right? And you've got Netflix and Apple starting up with stuff. You've got, uh, what's the one? Q, Quibbies or something, Quibby? Can't remember. It's uh, the idea of 10 minute episodes on your phone. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Spielberg's involved. Katzenberg started this company uh, with uh, Meg Whitman from, from Silicon Valley. And they're gonna be putting out content that's like 10 minute segments that you can watch on your phone. So things like that, we have this sort of inexpensive channel to get this stuff out. It's very possible to do something along those lines. Um, I'm all for it. Um, I'm not going out there and with a, a screenplay and trying to make it happen because it's a lot of work. But uh, if I ever got a bite or someone said, you know, you know, come over to Netflix and uh, let's talk about it, I'd be there in a shot uh, because I think it could be a really good way to learn business ideas. Um, I think just, just even in little ways, um, you, you can get sort of closer to, um, a theatrical result by just doing things like, um, uh, audio books. So, so scramble is an audio book and that's outselling, uh, the paperback and the uh, Kindle book. So there's a lot of people getting information that way. Um, and if you get the audiobook, you can get the last 30 pages as a PDF. It's built into it. So you can print those out and you've got pretty much the whole thing. Um, yeah, who knows? Uh, TV is getting very interesting these days. Uh, online teaching is too. Maybe I'll get involved in that some, someday. But right now, I feel like you get a much deeper learning experience in person with real collaborators that you'll form relationships with for the rest of your career. So um, we're going sort of the high end at this stage with uh, level C, but um, you never know. I think at some level, it's nice to have uh, a masterclass.com kind of version of this. So has anybody ever taken one of those masterclass online courses just for the fun of it or whatever? Uh, I recommend it. You know, I, I'm pretty sure pretty soon they're going to have somebody doing branding or marketing or they have business people on there already and you get famous people talking about their craft and it's pretty inspiring. I've used them for my books. I built Scramble on 
I think I got three different courses I took on on uh, masterclass.com, mm -hmm. and super helpful. If you if you're up to speed on the craft and you just need to know how to do something specific, like how do I write a thriller, is one. Mm -hmm. um, you can do it if you've got the other skills. So um, if you know how to cook, you know you get I don't know Jamie Oliver to teach you some you know special skills or. Um, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. It's really nicely done. So maybe maybe something like that. We'll yeah. we'll keep an eye out for that. There's some nice 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 um, ideas for for products, and um, and we'll keep an eye out for for scramble on the small or maybe large screen. Fan, fantastic. Um, listen, um, if anyone's got a question, um, maybe stick stick your hand up first. You know anything that we've covered, or I'm sure Marty, you'd be happy to go back into your back catalog or or maybe even uh, level C. Um, and, and no one's instantly jumping out at us here, or you can just simply unmute. I think we're, we've not got a stampede. Two people jumping out already. Here, there's, out. yep. So, uh, Baker's dozen. Yep, there's. How about? Uh, right away then, Chris, you had your hand up first. Yes. yes. Hi, Marty. Hi. Just a quick question, because obviously Scramble, it's probably the one time that I've actually picked up a book that isn't just educational, but it's quite good fun. It's inspiring and it's quite engaging. And it's quite, you mentioned the word further. I'm intrigued to know how much fun you had with the book, because it must have been quite an engaging piece to write something that's actually oh, quite different than other books. Blast. It was a total blast. Way more fun than writing a regular book for me. Um, but it did have to have all the stuff that a business book has in it. It had to make sense, right? It has to be logical. It has, yeah, yeah, yeah. has to be based on reality. So there is that uh, level of difficulty, but I don't mind difficulty. I, I like a challenge. Um, you know, but the thing is, the, the best business book isn't the one with the best information. It's the one you finish. I mean, just how many books have you, like, started, business books, and just, like, they just sit there because it's like, oh, God. I mean, what do you even do with a business book? There's so much stuff in it that if you don't take notes and have some way of processing this, you'll never, you're never going to put it into action. You'll take a couple of little pieces out of that, and that'll be the, the output from the book. And uh, I find that to get a a lot out of a business book, I have to take notes. I put everything on, um, you know, three by five cards. Um, and I organize them by subject. I mean, I, can't, I cannot remember all this stuff. And so, but the, the best parts, I want to kind of like put on cards and then look at them and say, okay, how can I um, introduce these into my work uh, right away? But most people don't do that. And they're just overwhelmed by all the stuff that a book gives you, um, 300 pages usually, of detail um, with nothing very actionable, uh, except maybe like a, a list kind of thing or a formula that um, is really restrictive and doesn't really help you. It's just, it's just so boring that you, it's so boring and tedious that you never do it. So I, I'm, I always try to do this, how do I work around that so that a book is fun to read and you feel like you can do it after you read the book. I'm going to put this into action right away. Well, I think that's why it's been so successful because all the books I've read of yours, I've been quite addicted to them because they're so short and sweet and the information is just on top. It's fantastic. And I can't wait to do the Level C course and going from being paid now to, what did you say, a million pounds? Is that right? 
What are you saying? Sorry. I'm looking forward to the level C course going from what I get paid now to going to a million pound. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you'll enjoy level C. First level is ready. Next year, we're going to have the second level. So you have to have the first level before you get to the second. And it's good not to rush through them. I mean, it's potentially you could take, take them in a row, one after the other. But um, I just think there's so much to gain from each one. Why not spend a year putting it into action and seeing the um, consequences of that, the, uh, you know, the better level, higher level of success, uh, more income and all the kinds of things that you get from doing your job better. Um, before you go on to the next one, just, you know, enjoy the, the, the ride up. One more question from anybody? Okay, we're done. Yeah, no, that's that was brilliant, Marty. Thanks everybody for for turning up, Marty. That was brilliant. Maria, thanks for coming in, joining us, giving us a little preview. Uh, we're actually back next month with Jeremy Miller, and then we are talking to Maria in November. So um thank you very much, guys, and um have a nice weekend or the rest of the day if you're now going to go and start work for those of you on a different time zone. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you later. See you Thanks, Marty. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye.